Hi, I'm Joseph McClendon III, and welcome to the Cure for the Common Life podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people and make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is activity, not action, activity. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you'll crush it. And I humbly offer you these tools and strategies to kick your own ass and make the changes so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single time that you can do to create a change in yourself. Life is exactly what you dare to make it and fortune favors the bold, baby. So if you're ready, let's bold. All right, well, welcome back. Welcome to the Cure for the Common Life. I'm Joseph McClendon III. And as always, I bring you the best of the best of the best. And today is absolutely no, no exception. I'm super excited to share with you my guest today, Dr. Dr. Andrew Jenkinson, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about him, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about something that is right on time as far as I'm concerned, especially what has been going on around the world in the last year and a half or so. Dr. Andrew Jenkinson is a general surgeon in Hartley Street, London, specializing in bariatric and laparoscopic surgeries and procedures. His passions include surgery for weight loss and diabetes, acid reflux disease, gallstones, hernia repair, and surgical emergencies. He's a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeon and holds a Master of Surgery title for his research in his thesis. He's a member of the British Obesity and Metabolic Surgery Society, and the list goes on and on, as you might imagine. And uh, so before I introduce you to him, part of the reason I, I, I said that this is going to be uh, something that's poignant and right on time right now is because this whole, con- this, this whole uh, let's just say the last year and a half of stress that people have gone through, so has their eating and their obesity and weight gone up. And that's where this man's absolute specialty is. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Pleasure. Uh, pleased to have you here. And for starters, if you would share with us a little bit about your background, kind of what brought to you to where you are right now. Yeah, so I just trained in uh, general surgery. I, I subspecialized in, in keyhole surgery, so laparoscopic surgery where we make small little cuts in the abdomen, put a really, really cool uh, digital camera inside the abdomen, inflate with carbon dioxide so we can see things in such detail, absolutely fantastic sort of 4D detail. Wow. Um, and yeah, I trained in that. I trained in upper GI cancer, stomach cancer, things like that. But the first job that I got as a consultant was in a, a hospital in East London that was doing a lot of surgery for, for weight loss. So gastric bypass, you know, gastric bands in the old days, sleep restrictions, these sort of things. Um, so I sort of uh, took that on board and trained up in it. And uh, next thing you know, my whole clinic is filled up with people who are absolutely crazily desperate to lose weight, so desperate that they want you to remove or bypass their stomach. Um, so my training, as in any doctor's training in weight regulation and obesity is, you know, why don't you just eat less and exercise more? Yeah. You know? But I was faced with these scores of people, well, hundreds of people after a, after a while, all with very similar stories, you know. Um, yeah, I can lose weight, doctor, but I, I just can't keep it off. I can lose weight on a diet, but I can't keep it off. Um, so I sort of started to think, you know, 
maybe they have something that we don't really understand because why would someone want to have their stomach removed rather right, than right. do something right. that is relatively simple, you know? So I sort of looked, it inspired me to, you know, look into this research, particularly as when you do the surgery, they're absolutely fine. They're not, they weren't addicted to food. They didn't have, you know, a lazy character or whatever. They're absolutely normal people again. So this sort of inspired me to, you know, just go back to the books, do a lot of research, uh, and look into metabolism, appetite, and how our weight is regulated. And that sort of inspired the book, Why We Eat Too Much, um, which I think sets out a totally new way of us understanding how our weight is regulated. Which is critical. And, uh, you know, first off, we have this off to you for uh, creating that. And for an avenue for people to look at something that, because a lot of people feel helpless, you know that as well as I do, they feel helpless. It's like when they, they don't want to eat and they wake up the next day going, gosh, I'm you know feeling bad and, and beating themselves up and all those things. You said something, um, uh, and maybe I misunderstood it, and I, I, don't under, I certainly don't understand the surgery. I've heard of it before, but with regard to reducing the stomach, whatever that, that is, you said that they become a normal person after that. Was it, did I misunderstand that? So they'll go from, for instance, um, you, go, you guys go in pounds, so maybe 250 pounds, uh, down to uh, um, maybe 140 pounds um, in a year, um, just by, you know, either bypassing or just reducing the size of their stomach. But it doesn't work mechanically. So if they wanted to, they'd still be able to eat ice cream and cakes right, and, right. and crisps and fries, and they get the energy in. But actually the signals, the operations change the signals from the stomach and bowel that work on your hypothalamus, the oh. small little pea-sized area in your brain that controls your appetite and satiety. Um, so it changes your behavior. Um, and they just become sort of like their old selves, you know. I, I, when I go to my clinics and see the, the guys a, a year after surgery, I actually don't remember them. They have to show me their right. pictures. Yeah. This was you. What, what, their, what their old self was like, you know. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's really amazing, uh, relatively safe, um, and really effective surgery. But the book, or the ideas, for, you know, what I've you know what I researched, it wasn't really to encourage people to have that type of surgery. It was to you know understand why we got in this place in the first place. Why, like, thirty or forty percent of our population really suffering with you know obesity, constantly dieting, you know, constantly failing. Uh, affecting their quality of life, their self-esteem, you know, um, the way that people see, perceive them, all of these things, it, it, it causes so much misery, obesity, and the obesity epidemic we have. So, so um, yeah, so that's the, that was the basis of the research, really. Well, share with us a little bit about, like, why we do that, you know, the title of the book, Why We Eat So Much. Give us a little bit of insight with regard to why that is. Well, the... Um, the title of the book was inspired <laughs> was really an idea of penguin the publishers um it it's the whole thesis of the book is sort of different to you know why it's a little bit more complex than that straightforward question so the first the major you know uh theory of the book is this thing called the weight set point theory and this is where everyone every individual on earth has their own weight setting so this is like the the, the weight that their brain thinks is healthy for them. Oh, and it may be that it's a healthy weight, but actually it may not be. It may be that it is, you know, um, extremely overweight or obese. Now that's sort of set in your brain. And if you try, and it's almost like an anchor, it's a weight anchor. 
And you can sort of diet your way or go to the gym incessantly and get away from that weight, get away from that weight set point. But it will always rebound, but almost always rebound back towards that weight setting. And the analogy, the sort of anchor analogy is that you're sort of like on a boat and you can drift up and down on the anchor, but you can never go very far away from it. Right, right. In fact, the further you go away from it, the more, the, the stronger the pull. It's almost like the, the, the rope is elasticated. So the further you go away from your weight setting, your natural weight setting, the more you're pulled back by a voracious appetite or you know, just a really low metabolism, making you feel absolutely tired. Now, uh, it's interesting. I, so, I, the, so, so I, I use a, a the, metaphor. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. Right. I use a metaphor quite often yeah. uh, based on what you were just saying with regard to that weight setting. And I have a question about that. And the metaphor is if you set your thermostat for 70 degrees uh, or mm -hmm. you know, whatever, then it's going to maintain 70 degrees, whether it gets too hot or too cold, it's going to bring it back to that. Uh, my question is, before you go further, is at what stage is that weight setting put in or is it different with everybody? Or is there, is there an age uh, parameter that we, we, we actually start to go, okay, well, that's what I'm supposed yeah. to be? So basically it's dependent on um, genetics. So you may be from a family where you've inherited a propensity to gain weight easily. Um, so that's one part of it. But the other part is our environment. So the, the food in, this food and stress environment that we find mm -hmm. ourselves in. So we know that, you know, the Western world, uh, the Western diet, you know, lots of fast food, burgers, sugar, refined carbohydrates, that has a particular effect on people who are particularly genetically predisposed to it. So if you put those two together, genetic predisposition and environment, it's almost preordained that that person is gonna struggle. If you then throw in uh, the dietary advice and nutritional advice that we've had for the last you know, 20, 30 years of go on a diet, cut your calories, it actually makes it even worse because you're training your metabolism to be like ultra efficient. Um, so you actually get better and better and better at withstanding a diet. Wow, crazy. And, you know, so that, as, as evidenced by what is uh, showing up in today, you know, gosh, you say 20, 30 years, I say 40, 50 years, maybe longer, uh, that's showing up. And so, so once that setting is in, what's next? What, what is the next phase or stage? So basically, the, I mean, the, the, the reason that people fail in uh, weight regulation is that they don't address their weight set point, you know. Um, you, as, as I said before, um, the common advice is to diet yourself to a new weight. But actually, if your brain wants to be overweight or obese, it will get you back. It will always, you may win the battle, but it will always win the war. So you have to sort of unpick what causes someone's weight set point to be unhealthily high. Obviously, you can't change genetics, but you can change the environment. And this is where the signals from the food that we eat are important. It's not particularly the calories. We all know people who are slim, who eat far too many calories, they can't actually put weight on. So the calories are a little bit of a smoke screen. Yeah, if you starve someone, they're going to lose a bit of weight, but you know they're going to put it back on eventually. So it's not the calories in the food, it's what the food does to your hormones. Right. Uh, and particularly in the book, we, we look at three, three areas. So the first is insulin. And this is sort of well known anyway, but it's, you know, this is the reason that the low carb or keto diet actually does work. You know, it's difficult for people to maintain it, but it does work. So we know that if you have a lot of sugar and carbohydrates, your insulin level will go up. If you're snacking all the time, your average insulin level will go up. And insulin is a hormone <clears throat> that, uh, 
that affects your brain in such a way that the brain then can't see how much energy you have on board. Um, it's going back to the book, this, um, uh, this condition called leptin resistance. Um, so we're getting a little bit complex here. I'm just gonna, uh, yeah, I'm, just gonna okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna um, explain leptin, which is critical. Um, so leptin is a hormone that comes from our fat. So all of us have leptin. The more fat we have, the more leptin we secrete into our blood. Okay, so the fatter we are, the higher the, the leptin level. And that level of leptin is looked at by you know, the weight set point area in our brain, the hypothalamus, mm -hmm. and it will measure how much fat we have on boards. And if we have put on a lot of weight, we'll recognize it and it'll say, okay, we don't need to eat too much. Um, if we've lost weight because we've been sick or been on a diet or in an area of famine, it will look at the leptin level and think, okay, this has gone down a bit. Let's send some messages to get some eating behavior in and you know, relax, don't go for a run or whatever. The problem with um, insulin is it acts in the same area as leptin and the hypothalamus, so it actually blocks the signal of leptin. So the higher the carbohydrate load oh. in your diet, the, this signal is then not getting through. So you can be carrying you know, uh, a tanker's worth of energy on board, but the brain can't see it. It, oh, actually right. sees, it actually sees a lack of energy. So this is why people who really have sort of end-stage obesity um, Leptin resistance drives them to binge eat, you know, in private usually because it's embarrassing, but they're being driven by this hormonal desire. They, their brain thinks they're starving away because you can't see the signal. And the sort of analogy um, in the book is, imagine you're driving along the highway and um, you see your gas tank is on empty. It's starting to flash. So you, you sort of panic a bit. You're looking for a gas station. You go and fill up. And as you start to fill up, you realize the gas tank's actually full. The problem is the gas tank meter is broken. And this is what leptin resistance is. is. You, this perception that you're on empty, whereas it's actually just a signaling that's wrong. Dude, that, this is, is, that is spectacular, spectacular. Yeah. I mean, a real different understanding of uh, the title of your book, why we eat the way we do. The brain can't tell the difference. The brain you know, thinks that it's, it's fine, you know, and or thinks that it needs to eat more. That's fantastic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this is the whole area where um, insulin in, in specifically will block that signal. So we know that if you put a population uh, who are normal weight into an, into an environment where there is a load of refined carbohydrates and sugar and a snacking culture, um, their insulin levels will rise. That will block their leptin. The natural sort of weight regulation will be disrupted and they'll all get fat or a, a large proportion of them will get fat. Um, so that's the one area where certainly if you reduce your insulin level uh, by you know, cutting out sugar, carbs, all these things, the things we sort of know work, um, that's the reason it works. It doesn't work because by cutting out sugar and, and um, carbs, we're reducing the calories. It, it works because we're reducing the insulin level and letting leptin be seen again. You know, the gas tank meter starts to be, you know, to start to work again. Irrelevant. Yeah. The other area that um, blocks leptin is inflammation. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, like inflammation in the body, which is caused by, um, by obesity itself. But also it's caused by vegetable oils, which again infuse the West don't infuse the Western diet. <laughs> so that I mean this is like a fascinating sort of discovery that's just not just insulin uh, that blocks that too, but also the vegetable oils cause an inflammatory action which again blocks um, insulin working. And actually it stops it working so much that you need more insulin, um, which blocks leptin even more. So it's sort of like a vicious circle. But it's a 
this critical thing. It's not just sugar. It's actually sugar and vegetable oils. And they right, both, right. you know, it, it's the effect that they have on the, it's nothing to do with calories. It's the effect that they have almost poisoning the body into this disruption of signaling, which causes obesity. And I mean, it's pretty bad in the UK, but when I come to America, it's like, it's just so sad because the food is, you know, we've got pretty bad food, but the food in America is even more in, is even more infused with all well, this stuff. We, it's, fa say, it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, we complain about your food only because our food is so, let's just say we've become addicted to our food and it's not good for us, but we complain that your food, you know, over there is bland and things like that. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. the truth of the matter is, you know, neither one of them are great. And one of the things that you're saying, uh, or I hear you saying, is that the, you know, the what's happening with the vegetable oil and the leptins, uh, blocking the actual the the uh, brain from being able to see what's really going on, yep. and and again, this is a reason why we eat so much because you know it's it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle of what we're putting in us. Yep. Not to mention, oh, don't get me started with regard to. Uh, the uh, manufacturers of food, they know this stuff. They know it. And uh, yet they keep on doing it. And it's for obvious reasons because it keeps us eating that food and keeping us unhealthy and, you know, that spiral there. There's a whole legacy of uh, flawed research, you know. Um, going back to, you know, the, the UK diet and fish and chips, um, this whole uh, sort of anti-saturated fat movement that we've had in the last, you know, well, since the 1960s, yeah, comes, yeah. comes from a very famous scientist, Ansel Keys, who did a sabbatical in Cambridge uh, and found that you know, we were all having like Sunday roasts and fish and chips and very high fat diet. And he said that was the reason that people were getting heart disease, not obesity, heart disease. Um, it sort of transpired at the same time people were smoking a lot of cigarettes because we'd just come out of the war, but that was sort of ignored. Um, and he was very, um, you know, persuasive in his research. You know, if you try hard enough, you can prove anything. And there's a lot of flawed research that came from, from his labs, which uh, has, you know, embedded in all of our psyches, this, this um, understanding, flawed understanding, in my opinion, that saturated fat and cholesterol in a normal person who doesn't have, you know, cholesterol, family cholesterol problems, um, saturated fat and cholesterol, we have this perception that it causes furring of the arteries and cardiac disease. Even, uh, even a lot of respected academics now are going against that. There's many, many course, uh, yeah. articles, articles you know, espousing you know, the fact that that is uh, false. But the problem is that it changed the way we eat. Mm -hmm. And this is when vegetable oils came in because we were told that if we have a fatty steak, too much cheese, too much full fat uh, milk, uh, we're going to die of heart disease and everyone is still petrified of heart disease of course so we've got these we've changed our diet away from natural stuff which actually is really healthy fat is probably the thing that causes people to become lean actually which mm -hmm. we've gone against that to these totally artificial vegetable oils that are not man that, that are not natural foods they're man-made foods and you know, carbohydrates from, and uh, sugar and that's you know that's the basis of where we all went wrong in you know, that, uh, that the U.S. Department of Agri Agriculture uh, dietary guidelines that first came out in the early 80s. If you look back at that particular time, that's just when obesity rates started to, yeah, to yeah, increase. Yeah. 
So, so it's, it's like a, it's a bit of an experiment that went wrong, really. Um, exactly. Yeah. It continues to go wrong. You know, as you look at the because uh, I grew up during those times where the biggest thing was there was fat free this and fat free that. And it's still, you know, on a lot of packaging there. And it's one of those things that a good friend of mine says, what if you woke up and that most of everything that you know was wrong? You know, and here's another example yes. of that. It's just, yep. it's the antithesis of what it is. You know, the more we cut that out, the more obese we have. Uh, I think it's fascinating what you're talking about with regard to the vegetable oil and the infl inflammation. And the more we do of that, because that is, you know, it's in everything right now. Uh, so share with us a little bit more about what, uh, what somebody could do are, what are some of the things that you might suggest, you know, and somebody that does realize even these things that you're saying right now, aside from which uh, in the end, we're going to put in the, in the comments and everything, uh, get your book and study that. But maybe you can share with us maybe a couple of things that people can do where we are right now. So the first thing is just to understand that history. Um, well, that's one of the parts, you know, you've got to understand saturated fat is really good for you and it doesn't make you fat and it doesn't give you cardiac disease unless you come from a very rare family who ha happens to suffer with early you know, cardiac problems and high cholesterol levels naturally. Um, so don't be scared of fat. Um, to, to reset your weight set point, which you can do, you just change the type of food you eat um, and the way you eat. Um, and we sort of know it already, but you know, it's not to do with the calories, it's actually to do with what, we're, what the food's doing to our body. So the, the book has a few steps. I mean, I wasn't going to put this in the book, but the publishers want me to, wanted me to put some actually advice. Um, so I went, I went away and thought about it. And the first step is, um, which is pretty obvious, so try and cut out sugar, uh, sugar type foods, sugar type drinks. And if you can, refine carbohydrates, which would be things like pasta, bread, um, if someone just cuts out bread, they don't go on a diet. If they eat a lot of bread, they cut out bread, they don't go on a diet, they're never hungry. They will lose you know, a fair amount of weight, we know that. So if you cut out refined carbohydrates and sugar, that would be the first step. Now that can be difficult because they're quite addictive foods. Yeah, and <clears throat> way into the addiction. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, they give you the same buzz as opiates at a low dose, but they give you that sort of really relaxed feeling. Um, so that's the first step. The second step is actually to try and de-stress, get your, get your cortisol level down. So we're talking about like, you know, trying to go to bed early, sleep well, just relax, try and untangle your work and life stresses, your work and family stresses, if you can, you know, and all of these things, actually, we know that cortisol, if it's high, you're not going to lose weight. If you're stressed, you're not going to lose that much weight. Um, third thing is, um, so we're looking at you know the ratio the, the amount of uh, vegetable fats so we, the vegetable fats cause this real disparity between these two essential fatty acids omega-3 and omega-6 people have heard about that so basically uh, that's one of the things that causes inflammation and you know the problem with the leptin uh, signaling um, so if you can get rid of your vegetable oil, just chuck it away um, get rid of all processed foods that come in a packet you know uh, and a preserve, they all contain a load of vegetable oils and actually just cook natural foods. So meat, fish, vegetables, dairy products, including fatty dairy products. If your diet is that and you cook the food, you're gonna like um, decrease the amount of inflammation, improve your omega-3-6 ratio and reduce your weight set point without ever going on a diet, without ever being hungry. You're literally um, triggering your body to work with you. Exactly. Well, you're just going back to a normal way of eating, the way we ate before we had an obesity crisis. 
Um, And the final part was basically to take up, I mean, it's quite important when you're losing weight naturally to keep good muscle health. And muscle is so important to, you know, be able to burn off those excess calories just naturally in your sleep. Um, So doing some muscular exercise three times a week, we we sort of, we know it, it works not to produce weight loss, but it actually improves the way your insulin works. So you'd need less insulin and it reduces your uh, cortisol. It's not, nothing to do with you know, running away, burning the calories off. It's actually what it does to your insulin and cortisol level, the exercise. Because um, we know it works. That's why gyms are, are yeah. there. Um, but yeah, I mean, people who go on a low calorie diet, we know that their metabolism can, can really plummet. So I've had patients who have been massively obese. They've been on like literally liquid uh, meal replacement diets, 1,000 kilocalories a day for a year. And then they've hit a plateau. And they're still like 200 kilocalories. They're still 200 pounds. Um, but they're on 1,000, 1,200 kilocalories a day. And they, they're, they're, they're you know, complying with the diet. They're used to it. And no one will believe that they're not cheating. But their body has been able to adapt to this sort of starvation environment. They're literally burning, you know, maybe 800 kilocalories a day as their basal metabolism. And then they're... Their, their brain is telling them not to move too much because we don't want to like uh, you know use up too much energy so all of these things go against us and we know that you know our metabolism itself if we take for instance 10 people your size um joseph your size age and sex we would normally like a doctor would say okay we're going to do a complicated um equation and we'll work out your basal metabolism and let's say it's 1800 kilocalories a day um we know if we look at 10 people of the similar size, the difference between the high metabolizer and the low metabolizer, you know, the number one against the number 10 metabolizer, they look exactly the same as 700 kilocalories a day. So this is like your individual difference between people right. who look exactly the same. There's a difference of a 10K run there, you know, um, a six mile run. Uh, every single day is a difference in metabolism or a three course meal, look at it the other way. Difference between two people. So as we know, there are a lot of people who are naturally slim and they can just eat anything. And there's a lot of people who, you know, really, really struggle. They've got a low metabolism. And this sort of um, comment that they say, I just look at the cream cake and I put weight on. You know, <laughs> that's because the metabolism is like, a lot of things that obese people, people who suffer with obesity say are totally true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, this is absolutely fascinating. And I could go on and on with you and... Um, would love to have you back as well. Um, how how can they a find your book and b follow you uh, and and get a hold of you? Uh, so the book's called Why We Eat Too Much. I think it's difficult to get it on Amazon.com. Um, so you probably have to plug into. You can try, um, but you probably have to plug into Amazon.co.uk, um, and you can download the audiobook from there. Uh, the audiobook's fantastic, uh, or you know the Kindle, or I'm sure they. I'm sure you can. Um, get the book ordered um i sort of don't do much social media but i'm on twitter occasionally uh i think it's my twitter handle is at uh mr ad jenkinson one anyway you can put it on the website yeah we're gonna we're not only gonna we're gonna put it yeah. in the comments yeah. as well so that you'll have it as well yeah. Yeah, and I really yeah. love that it's you have the audio book as well. That is uh, that's a plus for a lot of people who don't. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it, read it reads really well. Yeah. yeah, 
it wasn't me doing it it was a real professional so uh, <laughs> well, i'm sure it's great well listen thank you thank you thank you so much and um i you know, again when we started this i said that you know where we are things are right now you've said it several times we have an epidemic we're in the midst of uh, you know an epidemic that's been around mm -hmm. for a while and you know when covid came around it, it even heightened more and so this gives people you know not just some hope but some real tangible things to understand and something that they can do to change how they eat and and really recognize what really is going on because for me andrew i've i have for many many years uh you know my mother uh, uh suffered from cancer and uh she had a uh, let's just say a weight challenge as well going on and i look at how many people don't know how we function as human beings? I would say that I'm sure you agree with me. The vast, vast, vast majority of people don't really understand or really give it any thought as to how we function. And we are, are so uh, conditioned by whether it's media, television, or whatever. Here's what to eat. Here's what's good for you and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to doing more of this. Thank you for what you're doing out there. And for everybody, always make sure that you pass this on to other people and like and subscribe. And remember that life is exactly what you dare to make it. And fortune favors the bold. Our guest today has been Dr. Andrew Jenkinson. Doc, thank you so much. We are out. Thank you, Joseph. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Cure for the Common Life podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or any topic ideas you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at josephmcclendon.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the top.